0: This Pi article that we're going into, it sent me down a Pi rabbit hole. I was playing around with their uh, their delivery site and I was like listening to the digits of Pi. <laughs> and then I did the one that does like the graphical representation and it was starting to crash my browser. <laughs>
1: Welcome to GCP Life, episode number 17, a podcast where we discuss Google Cloud and tech. GCP Life is sponsored by Kazna, and I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. And on today's show, we look at Google AI, we calculate Pi to a lot, take a look at some private app repos some new Google features, and we have another list. Awesome. But before we get to any of that, I want to introduce the Migration King co-host that's with me here today. It's Dave Wall. How are you going, Dave? <laughs> Lucky me. <laughs> I mean, the king of the migrations. <laughs> the king of the migrations, or the GCBE oh, nice. migrations As, anyway. Yeah.
0: How I, many I don't over? Is that better than being the Duke of decommissions? Or? Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, well, it could be. How many uh, the kernel of clusters? Uh, uh, the,
1: <laughs> <laughs> kernel of cl- I wouldn't want to be the kernel of clusters. <laughs> yeah, no, me either. Uh, boy, um, oh boy, boy. I need to check out the dad jokes. See yeah. dad jokes. Oh, yeah, but uh, yes, yeah, so uh, I,
0: I am migrating along. I got kicked off another. Uh, Ten terabytes worth of data transfers a little bit before this call. So
1: yeah, excellent. All right, well, we're going to talk a, a little bit about GCVE towards the end of the
0: show. Yep, um, lots happening in that space. But um, I've ordered some parts because you got your graphics card a while back, but I know you've been sweating that CPU for quite I, some time. I got the graphics card a while back. Um, now
1: I'm I'm building. I'm going to build a new rig, um, and I've. In the past, I've just gone boom straight into the top, Turn it up to eleven, gone straight into the top. But right now, um, it's right now it's uh, it's expensive. Can't do that. Oh yeah. So I'm just going for minimal viable product, and uh, I've ended up with a Ryzen Seven 5700G. Um, look, that's uh, eight core, sixteen threads, boosts up to four point six gig. Uh, it has the integrated Radeon graphics.
0: Now, I'm not quite sure how that works. Does it, does it okay. appear as a graphics card? No, so it just means that it's like your, um, like your Intel CPUs where they have the onboard graphics. Right. right. Yeah, it was they were never great. It was, wasn't for playing like a lot of games or anything, but it's so you didn't have to have a discrete graphics card in there. So but- most AMD CPUs do not have any graphics components, so you need to have a graphic card in them. So, you know, on your motherboard, they'll often have, like, the HDMI port or a D sub yeah, yeah. or something on the back. Yeah. If you don't have a, a G CPU that has, or an APU is what AMD calls them, uh, those don't do anything.
1: Ah, oh, that port doesn't do anything. Okay, do anything. this is why I'm confused. This is my first AMD system. I've always used Intel. So, I, I, right. Yeah. Never understood so, um, that. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. And just, <laughs> as a pro tip, mm-hmm. when you actually put your rig together... Uh, don't attach like your monitors to those ports for like you know the ones you want to game on because yep. otherwise they'll be coming off the APU instead of your, your
1: graphics card. Ah, uh, yeah, no, no, it un- doesn't understood. Through it. Uh, yeah, that's the same with <laughs> Intel. Uh, the, my mother main current motherboard has an onboard chip video as well, so I, I'm I'm well familiar with that. But check this out. Yep. Oh, oh, jeez. <laughs> That's a two-man that, lift right there. <laughs> that's a two-man lift. I'm holding a box which is probably, what, 10 centimetres cubed in my hand, maybe more, oh, maybe bigger, 12 centimetres, yeah. <laughs> twelve, thirteen 13 centimetres cubed, and it,
0: it is a CPU cooler. It is um, the size of, like, you can build a whole PC into that box.
1: You that's... could. You could build them. It's the Master Air MA624 Stealth. Now, I'm glad Ooh. it's got the word stealth at the end because <laughs> they could probably you a launch a stealth coming. fighter with that. <laughs> I would want to see it coming if it was flying at me. That's what. That's right. Uh, now it's one of these. Uh, it's a it's a dual tower design, and it's got two fans, and put one fan in the middle, and then one fan on the side on the on the back of it, and shoot the air out the back of the case. So that should keep things nice and cool. I hope it. It should do. It should. <laughs> I hope so. But uh, right now, I'm just waiting for the motherboard. Uh, it's the B B5- five. 50 chipset. It's actually a mini ITX. Oh, nice. Um, you know, I didn't need a deluxe. The deluxe ones come with all the Wi-Fi and all the bells and whistles. Nah, I just want to put a video card in it and that's it. Are you building um, it into a mini ITX case? Or no, gonna... no. I'll just, I'll just repurpose my current case. Um,
0: There's so much room for activities around it.
1: <laughs> well, there is, well, it's under the desk. It's not, not a problem. But yes, inside. I, I do have a spinning rust disc that I want to put in there anyway. So I just, yeah i uh, got some M- M.2 drives as well, Th- throw them in and um, have a spinning rust there just as a scratch disk. Yeah, sure. Uh, projects and stuff, yeah. So that's me. That's what, uh, what I've been up to. What have you been up to, anything?
0: Uh, I mean, besides, besides work, I uh, got away over the weekend. We went down, to, uh, went down to Phillip Island. It was very nice down there, even though it was cold, but uh, it wasn't too windy and there was no tourists. I mean, like besides us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. So, yep. Yeah. Nice, nice to just get away and uh, spend some time down near the
1: seaside. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I thought we'd kick things off um, today with a story that's been just about everywhere. Even- Yeah, it's a big one. Uh, <laughs> every, big questions. Every media outlet has picked this up. Um, and uh, I, I, I'll put a link in the show notes to the Daily Mail story on it. But um, a, a Google engineer uh, by the name of Blake Lamont, uh, who was who was stood down from Google, he uh, I'll just read the title here: Google engineer warns the Ferns AI is sentient. Suspended employee claims computer program acts like seven or eight year old and reveals it told him. Shutting it off would be exactly like death for me. It would scare me a
0: lot. Yeah, this is, uh, so, I, I don't even know where to come at this. <laughs> so
1: here we have, okay, so the story breaks down like this. We have this uh, AI researcher, he's written, you know, he's been working on this for, for a few years, uh, quite a long time actually, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm
0: going I read he had, he'd been there for like seven years.
1: Seven years or something, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he, he then was doing some tests against this AI, had a conversation with the AI, and the, it led him to believe or perceive, which is the key word, right? Uh, following hours of conversations with the AI, Lamont came away with the perception that Lambda, which is the name of the, 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 pro, the uh, AI, was sentient. Now, this is the thing, right? There's a difference between perceived sentience and actually being sentient.
0: True. Right. But where's the line? Where's the line? Maybe I only perceive you to be sentient. (laughs) Well, look,
1: granted we don't have a full conversation here, but like a whole bunch of conversations, I would say to be truly sentient, you would have to have unique thought, right? You'd have to have unique ideas, right? That have to be... An internal monologue, an internal loop of consciousness that continues to loop, and question and generate problems and solutions and new ideas. Right, right. So mm-hmm. that that for me would be sentient. Now, uh, that, there's a thing called a Turing, Turing test it has been test, around for yes. the Turing test, right? Now, that's not that's not particularly good um, at
0: determining sentience. Um, but because would this have passed the Turing test? Because that's just, can I have a conversation with something like in a remote room and, and do I, am I convinced that it's sentient?
1: Am I convinced that it's a non-machine? Um, yes. I, I think it would because it, it, um, the AI, I'll re- take a quote here, the AI makes use of an already, know, already known information about a particular subject in, or, in order to enrich the conversation in a natural way. The language processing is also capable of understanding hidden hidden meanings or even ambiguity in responses by humans.
0: Hmm.
1: Right? So uh, we all know what it's doing, right? It's it's ingesting all all the things... And it's uh, then using the, all the things in a response to the question or to carry on the conversation. So, for instance, one of the things here it says, uh, it talks about the engineer also debated with Lambda about the third law of robotics devised by science fiction writer Asimov, which are designed to prevent ro- robots from harming humans. Now, this AI would have access to that text. So... True, yeah, and all of the books
0: because they're all, of the all books. public domain now. And-
1: yeah, that's right. So it would clearly, I'm not going to use the word understand because it doesn't understand it, but it would have access to all those texts in the same way that someone had read all the Asimov texts, and then it's just a neural network that can, as I said before, add, can enrich the conversation and add you no know, natural sounding language around it. Right. That's what it's programmed to do. That's what it's designed to do. I don't think that makes it sentient.
0: Right. And I mean, uh, there was a question in there where, where the one where he asked about the, um, you know, third law of robotics and it, he had mentioned about how it felt like it was, you know, the basis I think of making mechanical slaves and, then it asked him back, like, are butler's slaves? I mean, that kind of seems like it's, it's probably read someone's comments, like, you know, it's read a Reddit thread or a, yeah, it's or a or read someone's, Twitter. or someone's essay on the subject, right? It's yeah. got access to it. And
1: I, I think, like, do you think a butler is a slave? That, that sounds to me like some text that's come out of something that are, yeah, like you say, a Reddit comment or an essay yeah. or something.
0: <laughs> or, yeah, an essay prompt for an English exam.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, and that's where it's got that, that particular question from. Now, the, the, uh, the way it's designed, as we said, it can enrich and embellish it a little bit, so it just makes it sound a little bit wordier and switches some of the words around, because that's what it does, um, but is it unique? Well, when I see it solve a unique problem, then... I will I might start to think it's sentient but until then I don't
0: know. Probably not. Yeah, I mean I I guess I also sit on the like I I I don't think we will have created a sentient AI yet.
1: <laughs> no, no the computing power is not anywhere near we, what we need to do that at the moment. We need a, we need a lot lot more uh computing mm. power if, if if we were anywhere in the ballpark then then it would be a solid maybe. But I, don't, I don't think it right at this point we are. I don't, I don't know if we're uh, approaching the singularity yet. No, no, that's right. <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean, you know, it is confronting when a computer replies with something like, uh, because I'm an artificial intelligence and I'm, I'm afraid of being switched off.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but so I, I can- you, but- when, you, when you get back that, you would- that would cause you to question. That would cause you to question. Yeah. Um,
1: but, you know, this guy, he's working in this field. He knows his stuff. He's been working on it for years. If he was going to, like, out this, what wouldn't you want to make sure you, like, you had all your ducks in a row first? Like, rather than just sort of flippantly going, oh, this is an AI, blah, 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 and. And then people look into it and go, no, 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 calm down, calm down. It's not it's not sentient at this point. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Something's just not adding up. You know, this guy can be, could be one of the smartest engineers in the world, but um, he's been suckered. He's been suckered by his own code. <laughs>
0: uh, and there's no, uh, there's nothing in there about, uh, you know, when we're going to be able to play with it and uh, GCP anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: not unless you want to pay the storage costs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll move on. Um, speaking-, speaking of storage costs. <laughs> speaking of storage costs, <laughs> uh, they've calculated pi to 100 trillion digits. Oh, yeah? Now- <laughs> oh, yeah, pretty easy. No worries. Yeah. Um, now, when I first saw this, I thought, oh, yeah. Exactly. I thought, oh, yeah. No, no worries. But reading the blog, this is no mean feat. It was not. This was a genuine engineering problem that they had. <laughs> Absolutely. Um break it down here the previous record was 31.4 trillion digits consisting up to 62.8 trillion decimal places today we're announcing yet another record
0: 100 trillion digits of pi and uh what is the 100th hundredth trillionth digit ah so they get they get into that they do um yeah that's right so don't want to spoil
1: it um Let's just talk about the numbers here for a minute, the architectural overview. um, So they had storage, right? So 100 trillion digits isn't going to fit into like 16 gig of RAM, right? So they had to (laughs) store all the numbers somewhere. Uh, For storage, we estimated the size of the temporary storage required for calculating to around 554 terabytes. Uh, The maximum persistent disk capacity you can attach to a single VM is 257 terabytes, uh, which is often enough for... for traditional single-node apps, but not in this case, we designed a cluster of computational nodes uh, and thirty-two storage nodes uh, for a total of sixty-four iSCSI blocks. block. So, way this breakdown is they have uh, one computational node, and it has connections and farms it out to the storage nodes. And they needed uh, a certain size of the main compute node is one hundred is N two high mem one hundred twenty eight. With uh, doing eleven on it, 128 vCPUs and 864 gigabyte of RAM, and that gives them a hundred gigabit egress bandwidth support,
0: which was which was key. They needed that bandwidth to be able to do it.
1: That's right. Last time they did this, they didn't have that bandwidth, and the reason they needed that bandwidth is because they had to push the numbers out to the storage nodes. Yeah, it's too Um, much to be able to store in memory. They had to do it
0: on on a storage layer.
1: That's right. Uh, so the storage nodes ended up being N2, high CPU 16 machines, configured with uh, about uh, 10,000 gigabyte zonal balanced persistence disk. And then um, that gives them uh, 32 gigabits bandwidth. So they could um, yeah farm the, farm the numbers out to the storage. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, they use Terraform to set up and manage the entire cluster. Good for them. Very Terraform. Good, <laughs> good for them. Because how else would you do it? Right, of course. And the scripts, it's all available on GitHub. If you want to go and spin up this uh, environment yourself, it's right there on
0: GitHub. Oh, and I'm sure they would love for you to do it. and You can pay the costs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll just get some credits. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to <laughs> <wanna> do two hundred. We want to do two.
1: Yeah, so, um, yeah. Awesome, Uh, and then uh, the 100 gig, they they break it down in the article talking about the 100 gig network and how it was critical. We also changed the network driver from virtual IO, and I didn't realise this, to the new Google Virtual NIC, the GVNIC. It's a new device driver that tightly integrates with Google's Andromeda virtual network stack and helps achieve higher throughput and lower latency and is also a requirement for 100 gigabit egress bandwidth. Very
0: nice.
1: Yeah, one to look out for next time you're building a box and you need to be Definitely, definitely yeah. Um, so they go, they break down the storage, um, how all the storage works and how many IOPS they needed. I won't bore you with all those numbers right now. But to test this, uh, all the functioning and benchmarks got us to 100 trillion digits of pi. We verified the final numbers with another algorithm, the Bailey-Borwin-Ploof formula. And what that does is is it just calculates the last hundred digits and then they know that the last hundred digits match and bingo, you're good. Hmm. Uh, this verification was the scariest moment of the entire process because there is no sure way of knowing whether or not the calculation was successful until it finished five months after it began. Five yeah, months. Yeah, a long
0: time, especially for, you know, the amount of compute that they had to throw it at and it still took that long. Yeah, that's and then, right. I think from what I read in there is like they didn't have a node failure in that time either.
1: No, the program ran for more than five months without node failures and handled every single bit of the 82 petabytes of disk IO correctly. Well, that's a testament in and of
0: itself, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. You couldn't get one single bit wrong in amongst all of that. They just corrupt the result. So there you go. Um, yeah. calculating pi to hundred trillion digits, not an easy thing to achieve.
0: No. And, um, there's some links on this article and maybe we can add it into the show as well. Across, they've got this demo site where you can query their API so you can get the digits that you would like from there. They've got a couple of other little, uh, like fun tools where like it'll stream, uh, the all the digits through like a little piano player. And it's like <laughs> each one of the eight things, it, relates to a note and it plays and that's pretty fun and then there's one that um does a graphical like demonstration of the transitions between all the the different numbers you know three one four etc and it draws it all out i was running on my mac here and it it was it didn't crash but it was getting close to it it really started to hang so i don't know what was going on there but yeah check it out that demo site's a lot of fun
1: um you might even want to go and have a muck around with the code, which is all available in GitHub. Okay, uh, moving on. We'll take a look at this um, package management now. Uh, package management available. Uh, private package repo is now available for Debian and Ubuntu.
0: This is a really cool thing. Like-
1: yeah. Most customers are operating in a restrictive environment with limited egress connectivity to the internet. This results in customers investing in third-party tools such as JFrog, Art artifactory nexus etc to store operating system packages and libraries there is a pressing need to download dependencies without gaining the internet and also avoid investing in third-party tools if there is budgetary
0: or time constraints yeah i remember working somewhere where what did we have to use i think it was i want to say it was called foreman which was for yum package management um, for rel boxes um because we had to build like a proxy repository Um, Because not every box, we know, we didn't want everything going out and accessing the internet directly.
1: Right, right, yeah. Um, So, yeah, you can get access to this by just enabling uh, Google private networking uh, on your VPC and then uh, proper proper Google access, rather. Um, Yeah, and adding some uh, DNS records and a route if you need it. And and bingo, you can get access to packages.cloud.google.com. And on there, you will find repos for Debian 9, 10, 11, Ubuntu 16.04, and Ubuntu 18.04. Yeah, so I wonder if this is a globally, um, you know, globally available repo. And uh, if it can be used, well, you can access it. So I could just point any of my personal Debian boxes at it. Yeah, you could. And, um, yeah, have a high-speed repo.
0: I mean, definitely everything that you've got in GCP. Um, I don't know if you would gain any benefit from like any other on-prem ones. I'm not sure. Like, I don't think the stuff that's in this repository, it's not like the assured open source one where like they're validating packages. I think this is really just a mirror.
1: Yeah, that might be the next step, right? Mm. Integrating it with something like a assured open source. But yeah, good one to know. Um, and uh, if you want to make things that a little bit more secure, then configure that up.
0: Yeah, nice. I mean, it's always great to be able to leverage what's there. You know, like <laughs> migrating to the cloud, great. I can get rid of my private repository because I can use what's already there in GCP. So that's like the name of the game, right? And you, want, you want to move on to managed services wherever you can.
1: That's right, yeah. Save that toil, save, you know, doing things that you don't have to do, Um, allow you to focus on, you know, your own product. Speaking of migrating to the cloud, uh, there's been a few VMware stories around, and uh, VMware wins the Google Cloud Partner Award for Infrastructure Modernization. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this is kind of a gimme, really, really. I mean, I, I kind of see it as a sales pitch in a way, right, just to get the Google and VMware brand you know, out there together and get Definitely, people talking yeah. about it. Uh, VMware has officially received the, it says 2021 in this article, but I I believe it means to be 2022, Google Cloud Technology Partner of the Year Award uh, for infrastructure modernization. Google Cloud VMware Engine is designed to enable customers to modernize infrastructure operations and applications with lower costs and risks. Well, there are some risks. (laughs) We've discovered we're we're knee-deep in a a VMware GCVE migration at the moment, as you may have heard. And in fact, we probably will do a, a GCVE deep dive in the coming weeks. Definitely, yeah. Um, but there are risks. There are risks with any migration. Uh, lower risks, certainly. Um, the, you know, the, there's a... Uh, in the next article, we'll talk about a tool called HTX. Um, great in some instances, not so great in other instances. Um, we've discovered this ourselves recently. Uh, Overall, with Google Cloud VMware Engine combined with VMware Cloud Universal, uh, it is is estimated that enterprises can achieve average total cost of savings of 38% over three years compared to on-prem environments. Average yearly cost savings of more than $2 million. Average labor cost savings of $115,000 using existing VMware and Google Cloud tools and 100 gigabit dedicated east-west networking and high availability with 99.99% uptime service SLA for, for a cluster. That's some big numbers.
0: It really is. Um, it's, it's a strong solution. It's a strong solution. If you're coming from an on-prem world, um, we, you know, we've been working the, the ins and outs of it, and you know there's going to be a lot more of it in the future for us.
1: Yeah, we're starting to see quite a few people making a big push for it. Yeah. As, I think there's gonna be a scramble actually. Um given that um, you know, what's you know, trying to get the hardware, I think that's where the squeeze is gonna be. Yeah, Trying to get the servers, uh, what are they running on? Dell 670? Oh, oh, I can't remember off
0: the top of my head, but um No, they're not seven hundreds, I thought they were at six hundreds. Pretty sure they're one I use.
1: Yeah, uh, R640s. Is that them?
0: Could be. Have to have a look into it.
1: Yeah, have to look into it. But anyway, it's a 1RU Dell, something like an R640 that they're running on.
0: But yeah, everyone's competing, right? Yeah. So um, the hyperscalers are going to get first dibs, (laughs) and then you're on to, you know, you're trying to fill out your own data center. It's... uh,
1: your own data center,
0: we don't do that anymore, no, i sort of like, if you were still on the line of like, oh, yeah, I wanna, I'll want i tech refresh my tin, well, you know, that's what you're competing with now and there's still yeah. logistical issues everywhere. Yeah.
1: Um, they've also released a white paper. Uh, I'll link this in the show notes. Um, Gusevier allows users to deploy a managed VMware environment with an enterprise cloud solution. We've put together a new white paper. Now, I think that the idea behind this is to get people across the line, right? People that don't understand it.
0: Yeah, I it was really going into um, the kind of performance, uh, the performance you get from a data transfer perspective. Was when as I so dug through the white paper, um, and that's it's certainly something that we found as part of our own migrations. So just because you've got a uh, like a ten gig link, which is just great, obviously, it's a it's a really nice way to run the environment. It's nice to be able to do migrations over a link that size, but you're not going to get ten gig a second where the transfer, you know, you can push it up there. Um, but on any, on any individual network extension, you can kind of peek at it about two.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's using its Hcx. Yeah. A hybrid cloud extension known as Hcx. Yeah. HTX. yeah. Um, uh, of
0: course, the really nice thing is though, is that like, while you might not get like the whole link, you know, you're doing that data transfer where your workloads are online. So it's like, as long as you're planning ahead, doesn't really matter how much you've got to push over the link. You just kick it off and factor in the time it'll take for that initial seed. That's it. Um,
1: let take a quote here. Currently, many organizations are navigating their way through their current IT challenges and cloud solutions. Google Cloud VMware Engine provides you the easy on-ramp to migrate your work clouds into the cloud. You don't have to move everything to the cloud at once though because GCV provides the option to scale your IT infrastructure from on-prem to the cloud at your discretion by leveraging HCX. Um, look, it's a neat solution. It certainly makes the actual moving of the boxes really easy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, the challenges come with disconnecting it from its original place, the unextending yeah, um, you need to
0: you need to be done with it on prem.
1: <laughs> ne- yeah, you really need to be done with it. You know, in coming weeks you'll hear you'll hear some some detail on us around some of the challenges that you could face with this. But uh, this white paper is an interesting read. In the meantime,
0: for sure, I think the really nice thing I, I like with it though is, you know, you've got kind of an, an overhead of building out your cluster initially, like the bare minimum you get like a th- minimum three nodes, right, to stand up a, an actual viable cluster. But um, after that. You just can let it scale, and you can set your auto scaling. So you go. You might have worked out. Yep, I've got three nodes minimum. Maybe to migrate everything from on prem, I'm probably going to need like fifteen nodes. But you don't have to pay for fifteen right away, right? You can just set your auto scaling policies in there. Set your kind of maximum, and then you yeah, know, as you actually move into the cloud, then you start paying for it.
1: Yeah, and you can do the opposite with your on-prem. You can start decommissioning your on-prem, Correct. start um, shutting down any contracts or moving away from licensing there and just, just take the journey at your own pace.
0: Yeah, plus you know, the, the nodes themselves are really big, right? So depending on how, how you're weighting of you know, whether you're CPU-heavy or you're memory-heavy or you're storage-heavy, you know, you might find you will be able to get away with less nodes, uh, fit more workloads into that space, which if you're, for example, if you're paying for like SQL licensing and you go, oh, actually, well, maybe I can improve my density. And instead of having five SQL enterprise licenses, maybe I can get down to four and help affray some of the costs.
1: Or just move it to Cloud SQL. <laughs> well, yes.
0: <laughs> but you got to get steps at a time,
1: right? <laughs> baby steps, yeah, yeah. Yeah, baby steps. Yeah, okay. Um, I thought we'd take a look at uh, one new feature that came across my desk. Uh, and this email literally just landed um, in my email. But it's um, about this uh, new feature called uh, advisory notifications. I thought this was cool. This is in pre-GA at the moment. Um, advisory notifications will provide well-targeted, timely, and compliant communications about critical security and privacy events in Google Cloud Console. Uh, so it gives you a little pop-up in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it integrates with essential contacts. So it'll, 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 it'll email out to the essential contacts saying, hey, your project does blah, or you need to be aware of CVE blah, um, get onto it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really good. That's yeah, cool,
1: yeah. Um, if the essential contacts aren't configured, uh, it'll use the administrator, organize admin, uh, project owner, and billing account admin, and they can get the spam as the security spam as well.
0: <laughs> Actually, well, <laughs> this is off topic, but it is on the advisory side of things. Yeah, um, yep. I know your uh, your partner had migrated over to Google Workspace. That's right. And um, and my partner's company has also recently done that. Um, I noticed that today, which I guess would be a month post the migration, I just got an email about um, like data leakage, like a heads up. It was like, here's how many files you've got stored in Google Drive. And here's how many were like sensitive. And here's how many of those we think were shared outside, which was zero. But I was like, this is really cool. That's cool. I didn't
1: move my wife's business data into into there at the moment it's just it's just email at the moment all ah, right um, so maybe you're not using drive yet so i'm not seeing that um i use c file which is like a homebrew um you know Dropbox. gotcha yeah she's she's in there um but yeah okay
0: yeah definitely got it from um the stuff that was in drive so um i was like oh, was pleasantly surprised I, I now yep. feel like I want to, like, I don't know, leak a, <laughs> share a file out to my personal one and see if it comes up in next month's report.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's nice that they're doing that. Um, because, you know, open buckets and open files on the internet. <laughs> Who does that? That's never happened before. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I thought we'd finish off the show with a list a list. We well, love a good list. Here. A list. You hate <laughs> a list. Lists. never talk lists. about lists. Never talk about lists. <laughs> um, this is actually following on from the conversation we had last week, uh, talking about Com- Thomas Kurian. Uh, this article I'll link in the show notes. He they they quote a lot of stuff out of those last couple of articles we were talking about, and they they list the the ten hottest new Google Cloud products, features, and tools launched in twenty twenty two that you need to know about. They do not mention GCV on this list, although that may have been launched in the US the year before. So this is mm. sp- specifically 2022. Yeah, still growing, that. and still growing, yeah. Yep. It's a pretty um, big article, actually. It is a big article. We'll just summarise a few things. They do list Google Kubernetes Engine.
0: Uh, no, actually, click, click, click into that. Uh, it's Google Kubernetes Engine cost estimator. Cost. Estimator, yes, that's correct. <laughs> it threw me off to him like, uh, no, I'm pretty sure the GKE didn't come
1: out like in the last couple of months. Last couple of months, no, it is the cost <laughs> estimator, correct. Uh, the cost estimator allows customers to see what it will cost to run a particular GKE cluster. Um, I have to admit, I didn't realize that this was a problem. But now it's no longer a problem. We can accurately estimate the costs which is nice. Um, the Network Analyzer. So the Network Analyzer, Google Cloud said its network group developed a solution to prevent manual and in- time-intensive reactive status quo with the launch of Network Analyzer. Network Analyzer empowers businesses by auto-detecting failures caused by the underlying network and suggests best practices to improve the availability, performance, and security of services. Nice. I submit I haven't played with this yet, but it'll be on my to-do list. Uh, The Vertex AI Tablature Workflow. I believe we mentioned this a few episodes ago. Uh, The Vertex AI Tablature Workflow tool includes a glass box and managed AutoML pipeline that lets users see and interpret each step in the AI model building and deployment process. Nice. They've got a nice little graph of it here.
0: And now I just need Lambda to explain it to me. (laughs)
1: But then you'll have it explaining itself and it might become sentient because of that. Uh, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. It'll disprove my own sentience. <laughs> uh, the uh, manufacturing data engine, the new manufacturing data engine, is an end-to-end solution that processes, contextualise and stores factory data on Google Cloud's market-leading data platform.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I, I spent a lot of time working in manufacturing. <laughs> in the pharmaceutical space. So um, I know there was always a, a big issue with like this storing you know, machine data and batch records. And- yeah.
1: Well, there you go. This solves that problem for you. Integrates with everything like Dataflow, PubSub, BigQuery, Cloud Storage, Looker, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you have your machine data stored. Uh, Cloud HPC Toolkit. Uh, this is the High Performance Computing Toolkit. Uh, the new open source tool enables users to easily create repeatable turnkey high performance computing clusters based on proven best practices. Maybe they should use this when they're calculating pi. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, maybe now they'll make that into a turnkey solution. They've they've pocked it out.
1: <laughs> yeah, it could have been the pock. Maybe they're going for uh, you know two hundred trillion. Uh, Cloud Fleet API route, uh, routing API. Uh, the Google Cloud recently launched its Cloud Fleet rate, Routing API, which focuses on the route planning phase of delivery and allows operators to perform advanced fleet wide optimization.
0: Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. So, we're gonna, I've got like ten packages that need to go to these locations. This yeah, is it's the, the, the traveling salesman
1: problem, right? So it, that's this is what it solves. Yeah. <laughs> You know what they need to – anyone from Google listening, you know what they need to include in Google Maps. They need to include an option that says left turn only. So I want to get to my destination and I only want to – in Australia, it would be I only want to take left turns
0: you're afraid of the right-hand turn. Well, no. Think people. about it.
1: The FedEx <laughs> did this in the US, except it was right turns, and they saved something like hundred million dollars yeah. a year in fuel because really? you're not. You can you usually can you just go boys. in Australia left straight away. You don't have to wait for the traffic to go in the other direction, and quite often it'll be quicker.
0: Uh, right, I, I think. Now I could be wrong here, but I thought the US and a lot of states. You can make a right hand turn on a red if it's clear. I think. Oh, you, sure. I could be completely wrong on this, but I thought there was something where you can kind of treat a red light like a stop sign if you're making. Oh, a sure.
1: Turn. I mean, there are intersections in Australia where you can do that as well. You know, it says left turn or right turn on red permitted after stopping or something like that. Um, oh, you're talking about like a car, a blanket, a blanket rule that allows that to be the case. Yeah. Nevertheless. You still may have to wait for traffic anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, you want, well, to, guess, you want to wait yeah. for the traffic, right? Whereas if you're going left, usually in, in Australia, you can just, just slot straight in with the traffic. You rarely have to wait. You're only really crossing into one lane. Uh, that, that would be a very interesting routing option to have.
0: Oh, there you go. There's a there's There's your trillion dollar startup idea, mate. You you go make a custom version hanging off this. Well, why not? Yeah.
1: Uh, Google Workspace SAP integrations. Um, SAP integrations. Google Cloud created new integrations between its Workspace solutions and SAP Cloud ERP. SAP Cloud to allow customers to connect core SAP software with collaborative capabilities of Google Cloud and Docs and Sheets. Nice, nice. Well, yeah, that one's
0: really nice. Yeah,
1: uh, I could see a lot of automation coming out of that. Imagine, imagine all the menial tasks that uh, the reporting uh, and, and reporting things that and can things just things be done. You know, automated. Out. Oh boy, that's great. Another report that no one will ever look at. Generated automatically, though. <laughs> but it's critical that if it's
0: not generated,
1: it's right. hell to pay. Uh, cloud distributed, cloud virtual. Uh, Google Cloud launched its cloud distributed cloud GDC portfolio of hardware, software, and services that brings its cloud infrastructure to the edge and into customer data centers. So we talked about edge edge cloud. We've had a few articles we talked about it. Yeah, uh,
0: we did. Yeah, it's like deploying like an on-prem stack. Yeah,
1: and that does all the all the Google Cloud features, all the Google good goodness. If um, you've got low bandwidth connection or intermittent connection, but you mm-hmm. still want to do all your edge processing,
0: oh, I wonder if you're using that. Um, it's not something I've played with before, but um, I wonder if you just treat it like a region. Yeah. You know, mm. So instead of like you know Australia Southeast One, you're like. Banky's house, <laughs> too, <laughs>
1: and the, yeah, and then we can have multi-regional. We can have Dave's house and Banky's house, right? And we have... get <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. stand up some GCVE nodes. <laughs> it'll cost you. <laughs> yeah, I might have to have a discussion with the wife. <laughs> get a knock on the door from Dell. Oh, I got your nodes here to install. <laughs> Oops. Uh, all right, two more to go. Confidential GKE nodes. So this would be off the back of uh, confidential computing. Um, Google this year launched Mm. the general availability of confidential GKE nodes, which leverages hardware to make sure data is encrypted in memory because you don't want anyone snooping or spying on that in-memory data. Mm. That's a cool one to know about. And finally, Manufacturing Connect. So they're really going after the manufacturing with this list, aren't they? Google Cloud's new Manufacturing Mm. Connect is a factory-led platform co-developed with litmus automation that quickly connects to and streams data from nearly any manufacturing asset and industrial system to Google Cloud. And then you can store it in your, your manufacturing data in- engine.
0: Yeah. Uh, extensive library. Oh,
1: okay, can work with over 250 machine protocols. And if the machine didn't have it, I guess they could develop a, uh, you know, a protocol for it to connect to their
0: API. So you can feed it out from like SCADA systems and stuff. In get all your stream your data from your PLCs. From all your, that's right from your PLCs from your uh, your
1: reactor data. All right, guys. Well, look, that's about it for today. Unless you got anything else, Dave.
0: Uh, I do not. I'm no. I'm uh, I'm I'm okay. I do, I do want to say that I did do an upgrade to my uh, recording room. I came up and I preheated it beforehand.
1: <laughs> oh, you've got the heater going. That's good to see.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I turn it off for the noise, but yeah, it's much more pleasant up here this week. This uh, week.
1: Yeah. So that's about it. Go write us a review on iTunes. It really helps the show out. And don't forget to check out Kazna Between Two Clouds YouTube channel. Uh, you can contact the show, gcplife at au. We also have the Twitter, GCP Life and the website. If you Google GCP Life, you will find that. Uh, don't forget, today's sponsor is Casner. At Casner, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. And that's it for two weeks. The next time you hear me, I will be in Winton, which is in central Queensland, out in the middle of the bush. And I'm hoping I can get some data, some uh, Wi-Fi data out there, and we can do a show. Yeah,
0: you didn't uh, you didn't get your Starlink in place in time, right?
1: I haven't got my Starlink now, but I've got my high-gain 5G antenna, so that should be good.
0: Yeah, failing that we just smoke signal to each other. That's it.
1: Alright, guys. We'll catch you in two weeks. Bye. Right, bye. Welcome to GCP Life, episode number 17, GCP... Mm. Oh, you're
0: doing so well. I know. Usually you stuff up on the welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that goes into the soundbites.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>